welcome to this uh, podcast episode with uh, Tim Venelbo. I'm really excited that you would like to join this weird conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, I've had a few who uh, who are willing to to go into these kinds of, of discussions, but not too many actually. Okay. Um, and uh, it might be because it's both a bit strange and controversial to see uh, the scientific method from that perspective, which I actually think is the correct perspective. Yeah. Science is kind of used in so many different... Everybody wants science to back up what they are saying, right? So, But but few really want to spend time understanding what science is. And then I think there's, there's a much bigger gap between those two than people are typically aware of in the community. So I'm, I'm really excited that you are uh, willing to, to go into this uh, route, uh, Tim. So uh, basically, I, I created this podcast series because I think there's this big discrepancy. And I wanted to point this discrepancy out for the not to be kind of uh, pictured as the hero myself at <laughs> all, but actually because I think we're wasting so much time in the community with this confusion. Yeah. So, so I really feel very strong for this because I feel that we are wasting a lot of time and that makes us weak and wasting less time is some, something everybody wants to do. Right. And I think I have an important message here. That's what I think. And I would like to hear uh, people I respect, uh, such as you, uh, how this uh, my approach is perceived and how you see it's relevant and also the weaknesses in my thoughts and where they could be better. So I've invited you to kind of come up with three uh, 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 criticisms and three uh Things where you felt that my perspective was really onto something, and and you 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 can start with the critical or positive in whichever uh, sequence you you uh, you want, and it doesn't need to be three; it could be more or less, uh, whatever you feel like. So, welcome, Tim. And uh, actually, now I'll just um, give you the word. Um, All right. Well, uh, I've listened to the podcast, which I found very interesting. Of course. For an uneducated man as myself, it's sometimes uh, a bit overwhelming um, because although I found the, the principles to be quite simple and very simply explained, uh, there's a lot of things you need to kind of work your head around, <laughs> uh, which can be quite foreign to people, I think, in general. But um, because I have a lot of experience in coffee Uh, and have done a lot of experiments over the time. Um, I also recognized a lot of the methodology you were uh, talking about and also could kind of quite easily remember uh, experiments that I've done that I made conclusions from that uh, when I look back at it now, and especially after hearing your podcast, I can totally falsify the findings I had because I did not control every element of the experiment and I didn't necessarily use the right method of measuring. Uh, so I think, you know, uh, from my perspective, it's only positive. I, I don't really have any negative uh, insights into this podcast at all because I think it's only positive to provoke people to to think what they're actually doing and um, rethink their methods and uh, um, yeah, and what they're doing in order to 
to kind of educate and find things that they're teaching to other people. Uh, I'm a coffee teacher myself. Like I've been teaching coffee for many years and I think uh, I know for a fact that a lot of things that I've said in the past is not correct because it has later been proving to be wrong. <laughs> but it didn't mean it didn't mean that it was wrong when I said it, you know, because that's what we thought until something new was discovered. So um, I think it's always unpleasant for people to to be told that they're not necessarily doing things right, especially if they've been doing it the same way for many many years. Yeah, and and uh, that I've tried that a lot as well, uh, and uh, so and and I'm also ready for this to happen uh, several times again, uh, and and that's of of course un uncomfortable, but but uh, it's also an uncomfortability that good teachers are accepting and taking seriously. Just to go back a bit, uh, so you said that you didn't feel that there was something that you wanted to criticize directly. One of the things that I was fearing most uh, as a kind of negative uh, perception of, of, uh, of it uh, was that um, uh, at least I, from an idealistic perspective, I have this picture of, of uh, business practices and science working together uh, at, uh, as a collaboration. And one of the things, sometimes I remember this 15 years ago, there was a English, uh, uh, they called it scientific gastronomy or molecular gastronomy or something like that, Peter Barham. And he was, it was interesting, but he was kind of telling the chefs what they did wrong. Yeah. He was kind of obsessed about what people did wrong and that science was right and they just had to kind of follow and I didn't like that approach. Uh, I, I like the approach that we are working. We, well, I'm schizophrenic here because I feel a, a bit, I have a, a, a leg in, in both worlds. Yeah, but I too, like the idea. <laughs> yeah, well, I like those two hats. Uh, so that's okay. <laughs> but then there's a lot of other hats that can be a problem. But uh, but but my point is that I, I really didn't want it to come out so, uh, uh, so that it seems like I wanted science to tell the business uh, practices, what they should do and kind of be the, uh, so I don't know, how, how do you think it doesn't turn out like that? And to which extent do you recognize, okay, there, perhaps there's a bit of that in it? Uh, well, it's a bit hard to say, but I think, you know, a good example, I, uh, I remember you talked about uh, that uh, as a business, it's very wise to kind of, uh, investigate what the customers want <laughs> uh, in terms of coffee flavor, for instance, and uh, and kind of adjust to that in your in your specific markets. And uh, I am a person who couldn't disagree more with that. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of a, a a thing that I think maybe where science can say, okay, if you do this, then uh, you will make a product that the customer wants, but. Uh, uh, in my experience, a lot of times the customer, customer doesn't actually know what they want because they haven't been shown uh, something that is very different. So, for instance, when I opened my own company, I uh, we started roasting quite light uh, at that time. Uh, and of course, looking back to, on it now, it was still quite dark and compared to what we're doing today. But uh, it was we were very different in the market. Our espresso was high in acidity. It was very fruity. It was not this kind of uh, in Norway back that back then. All the coffees were like heavy, dominated by Indian monsoon Malabar flavors. So very kind of rustic <laughs> and bitter and, and earthy flavors. 
Um, and, you know, it pissed a lot of people off. Uh, there's an article written by a wine uh, journalist that has the headline, fuck you, Tim. Uh, so, pardon my French, but um, <laughs> he was so obsessed that I had ruined uh, his uh, ruined espresso forever for uh, for him and for all Norwegians because I was pushing this light roast fruity thing. But it turns out there's a lot of people who love that, you know, and um, they didn't know that until they tried it. So I think it's not always that you will find the correct answer with science. And a lot of times, you know, science is proven wrong uh, after a while as well. And uh, this is interesting. And I see how I haven't perhaps made it clear because I, I under definitely understand your point, but I would say uh, this is perhaps not an, a scientific point as much as it's an uh, educational strategic point in the sense mm. that it's just because I've been uh, developing the SCA uh, curriculum for a lot of years. And I think from an educational point of view, it's important to provide people with tools so that they can solve any riddle. And with those tools, when you're educated with those tools, then you can meet a business model. And a business model is uh, defined by the vision by the founder. And the vision, if the vision by the founder is to, uh, uh, to pursue a, a certain flavor, then that science is not really involved here saying yeah. if that's true or not. <laughs> so so it's, it's more because I see so many opinions being ingrained in, in the educational system. And I see that that there's a lot of missed opportunities for other types of businesses. And for example, if you are told to the curves need to look like this or something like that, and people never talk about the color, then yeah. you are missing some tools as a coffee roaster to add to a different business model. Mm -hmm. And here, I'm, again, I'm assuming there's no right or wrong business models. There are business models that, uh, that, that are derived from the vision of somebody who's passionate about doing things in a certain way. Yeah. And from an educational point of view, I think it's important to have a broad enough uh, kind of toolbox um, as a as a uh, going through the education that it's not assumed that you're going in into this or that business model. Mm. But once you are, uh, are kind of, uh, uh, if for example, I hope that if I educate somebody and they get a job in your business later, there is no kind of uh, nothing from my education that makes people kind of tell you that they are that you are wrong in the way you do it. They are just technicians uh, adapting to your vision, or if yeah. they have their own vision, then they know how to do it, right? Yeah. So, so that's my point. It's more educational than it's scientific, uh, because science has no preferences. Science is just a, a, a set of tools to. Uh, we want to investigate this, and this is how it's done, right? Yeah. Um, but I understand, uh, and and uh, that's perhaps a place where I could have been a bit more clear about that. Um, because, and this is interesting, because I, I don't know if this is digression, but I think um, your business vision and business model is is uh, is a really interesting one. Uh, because it's so risky <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, um, uh, and I, and, and that doesn't make it wrong at all. Uh, but it, it's, I, I think I've been teaching more than 1,500, 1,600 individuals in small groups of six to eight. And I think more than 80 or 90% of these know who you are. 
and people kind of uh, see how you do things and then they they want to be Tim Venable. Yeah. And what what I tell them is be yourself everybody else is taken. Yeah. And and this is where I really want to give them a much bigger picture of what can a coffee roastery be and who says you you actually want to go through all the hassle Tim went through to make a very risky business model work, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's most people are much better off finding their own vision and do what they want and it could be completely different than Tim Venable even though everybody knows who you are. Mm. So that's the situation I've been in as an educator. And that's what makes me say things like this. Um, and, and, uh, and I think I was thinking about this before this, this podcast that, that as a business idea, I think Tim Venable wasn't a good idea as a business idea. It's only a good idea because you are so uh, passionate and willing to put so much work in for a very long time to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, it is not to put myself up where you are, but it's a bit the same with Coffee Mind. Imagine a small company with one and a half people in the beginning and now uh, two and a half people doing uh, so much research in an area of the world where people typically don't take education. It's yeah. never been a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee Mind has never been a good idea as an idea. But but uh, I I just love it so much that I'll just never give up, uh, yeah. and then then it works, and and I think there might be a bit of a similarity to there. So I've done a bit of the the, the light roasting uh, kind of uh, risky stuff with education, <laughs> so that's why I can rec uh, I can recognize many of the struggles that people go through starting a roastery at all. I, yeah. I don't know if you think that's a fair a kind of... No, I think you're uh, onto something. Like, uh, I do get uh, people asking me uh, for help uh, and, like, consultancy for when they want to open their own coffee business. And uh, a lot of times they want to kind of open the same as me, like, only serve coffee, you know, be in a strange place, not necessarily the high street because the rent is expensive. And... Uh, if you look at it from a business point of view, it, it that's not sustainable because uh, you need customers and you need to sell. You know, the reason why we chose this role was we were primarily going to roast coffee and sell roasted coffee. So the coffee shop is not really something we make money on. In fact, we actually, in most cases, don't really make money on it at all. So it's not a good business model per se. But I made sure to kind of have a little bit more legs to stand on and. And diversify my business a little bit to to make sure that we could survive, uh, especially in the first years. And of course, now we have built a, a good portfolio of customers and and people who love our coffee. So we're able to survive because of that. But it has taken a lot of work in a lot of years. And uh, yeah, because even your wholesale that's it's not a, it wasn't that you were kind of going into a market where it was a sure win and it has been very no. difficult for you to sell something that's so dif different, right? Yeah. So, definitely. so, so even the wholesale, that is your main, I, I think that only works because you've put so much work in doing something that was new and that only works if you really push for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, uh, the, the dilemma we have with the, with our niche of the coffee industry is that, great coffee doesn't sell itself like uh, um, the difference between the most prestigious coffees and okay coffees 
uh, is for a lot of people not so big. They're not able to necessarily describe why this coffee is better than the other. But what, especially with wholesale, what they do look at is the price. So a lot of times they say, we love your coffee, but it's too expensive. Like, yeah, yeah, there's a correlation normally (laughs) between price and quality, you know? (laughs) But um, yeah, so that's kind of the hard part. But, um, But, and this is where it's interesting because uh, you, you can, you have the kind of the features of the coffee and then you have the branding and the relationship. Mm. So in a sense, you, as a business model, you haven't made it easy for yourself, but you've been able to kind of, of, uh, educate people, enough people quick enough to make a business because you were really persistent on, on, uh, uh, explaining and educating and, and (laughs) because I have this, there's something in, in industrial design calls uh, novelty and familiarity. So that's the balance between the two that is important if you want to win over somebody if you come with something extremely light to somebody who drinks extremely dark they, they've got no idea right mm-hmm. so the closer you go uh the more it's familiar and you can still have an element of of of, of novelty um but if there's a big gap then you need to do a lot of uh, relationship building yeah. and 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 work to bridge the gap with other than kind of pure sensory uh convincing yeah and this is Um, this is actually part of our strategy we we focus a lot on giving good service to our restaurant clients and really helping them make the process of making coffee a lot easier so that's our kind of main focus always to give the best possible service and because there's a lot of competition in in especially in oslo with a lot of roasters having fantastic coffee so the only way for us to kind of add to that is to add service and and uh, ed- educate. And I've always been passionate about education. And uh, it's not something that I directly make money on uh, because I normally give my knowledge out for free in terms of videos and you know social media. And of course, if we have seminars for professionals, we might charge because it's a lot of organization that needs to be done around it. But um, I'm a firm believer that the more you educate the public about what you're doing, the more they're going to appreciate what you're doing as well. So yeah. It's kind of building the market, and that's why we we don't really have a marketing budget, but it's something that that's my main job is to to educate. You know? But but the, it's to educate in the right way because it's not a, an easy task to educate people to do something very different than so so it's it's not just to do a lot of education because you do you do a lot of wrong education. So it's really interesting how how you've done it still. Um, and again, I'm just thinking about perhaps there's a lot of listeners thinking about, ah, oh, okay, I can do a light roast concept in an otherwise dark roast environment if I just educate. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you can perhaps, and it's risky, <laughs> but also make sure that it's, it, that, that, that I'd like to remind people about how many different kind of options there are. And uh, again, the whole be yourself, uh, everybody else is taken. That, that's one of the things that, there's a lot of hype in the specialty coffee uh, business, and it's very easy to see the uh, the people such as uh, like you and the other big brands and think I have to model them. Yeah. But it's never a good idea to model others. Uh, you have to find out why what your own passions are about, and then derive your business model from there. Otherwise, because that's what you've done, right? Yeah. And you this need is... the passion, the long-term passion, to succeed with anything. This is my always been my strategy. We, I, our company, and myself, we. 
rarely kind of jump on trends just because it's easy, you know. Um, uh, we can easily sell more product if we just do the latest trend or whatever. But for me, it's always been about selling what I prefer to sell and buying the coffees that I prefer to drink, uh, roasting it the way I prefer to roast it, because that's the only way you can be consistent over a long time. If you're trying to model everyone else, uh, you're going to jump from maybe maybe one year it's very popular to do light roast, and then five years later it's very popular to do dark roast, and then your customers are going to be very confused <laughs> about your yeah. brand. So that's yeah. how we kind of kept consistent over time, you know, because I'm such I'm so involved in the product buying and product development in our company. That's you know that's been the key for us, I think, for consistency. It is interesting because I'll just mention a, a little story and, and I'd like to hear, hear your comment on that. Uh, I was uh, helping uh, George Karam. Uh, I think I think even you met him perhaps when we went went to Nordic Approach to get green coffees. But anyway, um, he uh, is a, a he's from Paris and he's started a roastery called Partisan. And he is uh, half Lebanese uh, or from the Lebanese community in 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 Paris, and um, and he really loved, uh, for example, your coffee. Well, he has got his own personality, so he's not in this uh, coffee uh, uh, situation, but he loves light roasted coffee. But he also has a big uh, Lebanese community who loves. Um, Uh, dark roasted uh, robusta based espresso so what we did we created four different uh, product ranges so we created the lebanese um, espresso where we added 30% of the highest uh, uh, quality robusta we could find and 70% nordic approach <laughs> arabica and uh, and then that was the lebanese and then above that we had the uh, um, the mainstream that was the latte segment so that was uh, slightly uh, that was it was lighter The dark here was actually 55. That was way into second crack. <laughs> uh, and then the, uh, the, the, uh, the mainstream was just up to second crack. So that tastes uh, enough in latte. And then uh, there was the explorers above that. That was, um, I think, actually 85 to 90, which was lighter, but not re uh, really light. As for people who started to gain interest in coffee, but wasn't ready for the really fruity acidic stuff, but for people who wanted to explore terroir. Mm. And then we had um, the extremely light and Ethiopian natural and a Kenyan actual 120. So he had, when he opened his doors, whoever came in, he could kind of uh, satisfy them. Um, and I think that's another way of keeping your integrity, right? Because he yeah. had a plan for everything he did and he had his own opinion, understood that yeah. people had others, But he was able, with his technical approach to coffee roasting, to solve the riddle, right? Mm. Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? I, I mean, uh, especially in a in a kind of young coffee market, it sounds like a really, really fun way to educate people about coffee flavors because uh, they can move around from uh, each category there, and you really don't actually need more than one type of coffee almost, and just have different roast also. Uh, in order to do this exercise. But uh, it sounds like a place that I would love to go myself and also explore the stuff that I don't normally prefer because, uh, yeah, that sounds like actually a great idea. <laughs> yeah, because that's what I tell people. Yeah, I tell people that you have your own preferences, mm. but it, it's a good idea to think about other... Uh, because 
these steps, I consider them more educational. People think, oh, no, if I roast dark, I sell my soul to, to profit and the devil. <laughs> well, well, it could also be kind of a, an educational approach, right? Uh, yeah. you, you actually create a product to create a relationship so yeah. that you can ed educate them. But I'm not saying, again, Jim, I'm not saying which business model is the correct one. I'm saying whatever business model you're passionate about is the yeah. correct one. And education is very education that, that uh, important that education do not paint the students into any corner, yeah. whether that being dark or light. I think they should, it should, should be pure kind of uh, descriptive and technical, really. Mm. Uh, and then the whole preference part is the second step of the education. Also, as the short, uh, the short video you saw, where I've kind of divided into control, diversity, and preference uh, mm. in an education model. Uh, on a, just a, to note, uh, we actually did an exercise quite similar to this. Uh, it was inspired by the guys at Damoteo in Sweden, but we had, I think it was our ninth anniversary or something. And um, I made like a, a blend based on a recipe that's on our first espresso blend and also kind of roasted it the same way that we did when we started the shop and then we had that side by side with our kind of new modern uh, espresso. I think this was a couple of years ago, so I don't remember the exact year, but, and uh, then we served the, the kind of old style espresso in a small cup that was preheated and everything, just like we did when we opened the store. And then <laughs> now the other espresso was uh, in a big cup, like uh, the one we're using now, uh, slightly cooled down. And, and of course, different roast, different coffee was single origin. And uh, we sold it kind of as a tasting for our customers. We have a lot of uh, regular customers who come in. Uh, and uh, the feedback was fantastic. You know, people really loved to, to, to be able to taste the development from like 2007 until I think it was nine years later. Um, and how much progression that we have done. And, you know, some people actually really liked the old uh, style coffee as well. And some people hated it. But there's no right or wrong there. It's just, you know. There are different ways of doing things, but in our company, I prefer to do it the way I, I, I like it to reflect my own taste at any given time. That's kind of the, the philosophy. And that authenticity it. is something that, that, uh, that, that we as a coffee people can feel and appreciate. And, and then me as a consultant uh, and also a coffee owner that struggles a bit myself, I'm just happy that it works <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I really appreciate it. Your coffees are amazing. I love them. So, so, so it's more like a, a pure risk assessment of different ideas that yeah. people need if they haven't done a business yet. This is something you need to take seriously and not just think that you can do uh, uh, whatever you want. And then just because you want it enough, it's a success. If you want it enough, so you want to work enough, then it can be a success. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not just enough to want it enough. Um, I think in general, uh, most in my experience, uh, when people open a business, the most important thing that they should have done, they never do. And that's to write a business plan, you know, to really think about why am I opening the store? Where am I opening it? To whom uh, am I offering the coffee? You know, what should I offer? Who are my competitors? What differentiate myself from them? All these things you need to think about before you open the business, if you wanted to really succeed, because it's so much easier to run the business afterwards when you have answered those questions before you opened, you know? It's such a good uh, point, Tim. And I will say to the listeners who think, oh, I didn't, then don't worry. It's no. never too late. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, but particularly after Corona, I, I 
this is something I've been uh, kind of forced to, which I'm grateful for now, but really think about uh, because uh, when Corona hit, I mean, 98% of our customers are, uh, or perhaps even 99% of the people coming here on roasting classes are from outside Denmark. Mm. And uh, the other business uh, revenue is if I travel. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so that's why we've been uh, investing a lot uh, in 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 live uh, studio stuff and and uh, live roasting courses, and it's been the most fun I've ever. It's it's it works so well. I thought in the beginning it wouldn't work at all. Yeah, uh, you can't roast on remote, but 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 it works really well. It's almost more fun, and it. It forces me to be more structured, which has been a good yeah. thing for me. <laughs> uh, so I've actually, uh, I really feel it's uh, amazing. So, but but what's the plan, right? Yeah, you can buy a webcam and uh, and uh, and hope for the best. But but uh, but but I really had to sit down and 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 think again. So yeah. I'm just saying this because um, if people, uh, most people would start without a plan because they love it and they hope that kind of God will. Uh, take care of the rest just because you're passionate enough. Uh, your parents typically help you like that, but yeah. that doesn't work like that when you grow up. And and uh, so if you find yourself in a situation where you feel stuck, it's not too late to just make a business plan from where you are right now. But it's it's interesting. But Tim, did you do that from uh, from yeah. the beginning? I actually spent a year almost to to write down the business plan. Um, I. Stopped working in 2006 uh, and then had like a year off where I did some consultancy and stuff, but that meant a lot of free time. So I was laying on the beach, uh, you know, reading books, planning, writing down, uh, asking all these questions, doing research. And I didn't open until mid 2007. So I still have the business plan. And I actually, uh, once a year, more or less, I go back and read through it just to make sure that we're on the right track. And we're still kind of following the principles that are written down there. Very often I get uh, offered to do many different things that can be uh, tempting because of uh, it's good business or something. But I always ask myself, is, is this actually what we are supposed to do? And is this part of our core business? And if it takes too much distraction away from what I'm supposed to do, then I always say no, uh, because it's better for me to, to spend my energy building my company rather than you know, helping someone else build their brand. Uh, okay, it's maybe fast money there and then, but you know, in the long run, it doesn't benefit the company. I always say no. So, a business plan can be really helpful, and it also can make you um, uh, rethink what you're doing and uh, see if you need to adjust something. You know, um, because the everything changes all the time, so you really have to also adapt. Like you just told me with the corona, um, you're still doing education, but you're just doing it in a different way. That's probably more efficient and and uh, and also easier for people to to attend the classes so maybe maybe that was the right move uh, anyway but uh, corona was the kind of thing that uh, catalyzed uh, the change um so yeah. it's interesting Tim, looking at uh, what you're doing and 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 how you're doing it and also getting a bit more behind the scenes it's, it seems like a bit of a rare combination of both a creative and an organizer where <laughs> normally people yeah. are one or the other so i'm definitely the creative so the last five six years <laughs> that has kind of uh, really started to biting me uh, it, it, 
And uh, so I'm kind of learning this at an, at an old age. Um, so it seems like you've had a, some really good uh, kind of um, talents from 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 pulling because uh, yeah as again the the risk part of your business i i think it's uh you're very idealistic but 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 and then you go work right and organize yeah <laughs> where yeah. where yeah. and and, and most of uh, most often people kind of stay in in one corner or if they choose to learn the other thing it might take i don't know i've given myself 10 years that's uh, <laughs> that's that's fine but but uh, but i'm actually serious about this it takes a lot of time to learn outside mm. uh, uh, <laughs> your talent so it, it it's it's great that you and and that's I, i guess that's also why you've been able to pull this off the way you've done that that this has been so ingrained also hearing about how you you learned this a lot working with stock splits right Yeah. Uh, I mean for me for me a good structure and routine and a good organization is vital in order to be able to be creative because if I know like I wouldn't be able to travel to origin as much as I have done over the years and and work with farmers directly and stuff if I didn't know that everything at home was running well. So creating good systems and structure there made me able to do what I'm supposed to do which is to develop yeah. the business and you know uh, think more and, creatively and this is really the blind spot for most uh, um entrepreneurs uh, and i i can i can kind of uh, uh, talk about that uh, but but that's a very well known uh, blind spot so that that's really <laughs> impressive how um, I, i think you can relate to that in research as well to be honest like uh, if you start doing testing or, or researching like anyone can basically do good research But if you don't really have a plan for it, then uh, yeah, yeah. you do not what know what you're going to find, and you, you're not look. Do you don't know what to look for? You don't know what method to use, and so on. So it, it's a really good point, and this is often uh, in in research. It's so important to know exactly what it is you want to know, and that's yeah. also what I'm kind of the form follows function principle. That you really need to be sure what kind of outcome is relevant. Uh, and even have a plan for uh, what do you do if the outcome is opposite and we've done a lot of consultancy for 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 industrial companies who who uh, funded by the marketing department and it's it can work but it's so dangerous because what we often find is no difference yeah and if you pay 20,000 euros to get a report that tells you that there's no difference <laughs> that's awkward yeah um and this is why in our project uh, plan we always under the risk uh, are very explicit about there's a risk of uh, no difference between the samples and particularly mm. in sensory that's very relevant to put in mm. um and uh, so that's a good point that you have with with planning even in research is very important um Uh, because there's always a risk, uh, yet yet you don't don't end up where you want to do if you don't uh, start out thinking. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you maybe because you did the research with the with roles profiling and uh, from what I remember you said that uh, like if you want to modulate flavor with a, a certain green bean, 80% of uh, what kind of dictated how the coffee is going to be modulated was color, and then. Was it like fifteen percent uh, the development time, something? Yes. And and um, you you've kind of debunked all the 
all the myths uh, when it comes to changing profiles and all these kind of things. Um, have, have, I don't know if you had the time. I, I just sent you this morning, so it's not fair to ask you here live, but did, did you have to t the time to see a bit more? Did you also see uh, the, the part of my e-learning where I revealed how people at Roasting Professional are not no. able to distinguish? Uh, that's really, um, uh, really interesting data. Um, and, has, um, has it made has it made it uh, uncomfortable for people? Because I I feel like uh, the coffee world is really hung up on science these days. Like science is really the buzzword in the coffee industry, and everyone loves science. But do they not love science when the answers to the research is not what they want? <laughs> it's because their interest in science is driven by marketing interests. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sorry to say, but um, <laughs> um, but I, I I can actually just give you. Uh, uh, I think this is for for people listening. I think this is really interesting um, uh, data. So I'll just find uh, uh, the, the data from. Um, uh, so I've created. Um, I did the uh, roasting defects uh, research in 2015 or something like that, where we took six different roast profiles. One extremely light, one extremely dark, a reference, which is nine minutes to first crack, three minute development time to action 75. Boring roast, I admit, yeah. but we were interested yeah. in the differences. Yeah. And then we had a scorched one that was just fast on all parameters, but matched the, the reference in color. Yeah. Then we had a baked one that matched the reference in color and time to first crack, but added four minutes to development time. And then I coined something called underdeveloped, and there are probably 30 other correct definitions of under, underdeveloped, but I just wanted to be a systematic physical difference uh, compared to the others. So I just extended time to first crack to 17 minutes <laughs> and then matched yeah. the development time and color. So that's where I have these 80% from. But I can tell you, I've recreated these on the Ikawa, where I have then have actually inspired by your Ikawa profile in the project we did together. I have a total roast time of six and a half minutes for the reference. Um, and um, and Ektron 75. Um, and then I created the scorched one, right? The fast one where uh, where I basically maxed out the heating, heat capacity. Uh -huh. uh, in the, So I... I drew the line that was the fastest possible I could draw that it could still follow. If I just took it a bit uh, left or up, it couldn't follow. So I maxed out the heat completely. And that gave me a total roast time on three and a half minutes. Yeah. So I took three minutes off. So it's half the roast time as the reference. Then I took the baked, matched in, in color, and everything up to including first crack was the same. But then I added two and a half minutes development time so the total roast time was uh, yeah nine minutes wow. and then so that's from six and a half to nine minutes right and then i took the underdeveloped and then i i added four minutes to first crack so uh, the reference had four minutes uh, to first crack so this one has eight minutes to first crack double the time to first crack and then match development time and color and um so you have to admit this is these are huge differences, yeah. right? So, and then the last three roasting professionals I've done, in the roasting professional, you need to, uh, in triangles, you get a triangle 
per extreme here. So you have a triangle where you have two references and a scorched, another triangle, two references and a baked, another triangle, two references and an underdeveloped. And you're basically told if you can pick out the odd cup. So that's the first. And once you've picked out the odd cup, then you are asked, which one is it? Yeah. And before this exercise, the day before, they were calibrated on exactly these with labels and also, um, also without labels just for the fun of it the day before. And then before they do this, they get 20 minutes to taste the ones with labels and then they need to do the exercise. So this is roasting professionals, people done the intermediate. So it's people with a lot of experience, mm. particularly with roast profile modulation, you would expect, right? Yeah. So the question is, how well do they do and which samples are they best at? So the dark one, all of them were able to pick out the dark one in all the triangles, but only 84% was able to identify it afterwards. But that's still a lot, right? And then the light scorched and baked, only around 75% were able to pick out um, uh, in the triangle, which is also a majority, right? Yeah. But the interesting thing, the light, only 58% was able to say that it's the light to identify it. The scorched one, when compared to uh, uh, only 42%, the baked one, uh, 37% was able to identify it. That's not a lot. 37%, two and a half minutes added. Yeah. And the underdeveloped, where there's double the time, 16% was able to point it out. Oh. That's nothing. Yeah. And, and, and notice here how that also, where you said your 80% is color, 15% uh, development time, and 5% is time to first crack. That's also re reflected in these data, right? Because the baked one, 37% was able to identify it. And here, two and a half minutes was added to development time, hmm. where the underdeveloped, where four minutes was added, only 16%. So much more time was added hmm. and much fewer were able to identify it. So it, it, it and, and, and again, going back to the podcast, it's because when people do experiments, the everything else equal principle is not applied. So if you just make sure that the co color is the same, and yeah. it's very small differences. And people don't make sure the color is the same. So they make a lot of assumptions about uh, flame settings in the beginning, drum yeah. speed, airflow. <clears throat> I had experience with this. Uh, I uh, got some samples to evaluate from a, from a person. And uh, I was supposed to guess uh, whether it was underdeveloped and blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, they did taste different, but I felt like there was more to it than just uh, different uh, modulations in the rose profile. And then I measured the color and they were all over the place, of course. And uh, I've been measuring color ever since I started roasting. So I couldn't imagine roasting without it. And I know how fine of a window we have to accept whether the coffee is uh, kind of acceptable to sell or not in our system. And uh, I, I know also because I do production cupping every Monday, I know that I can taste when it's slightly outside that window. I, I can start to taste slightly roastiness or slight greenness or um, of course it's small details, but it's all about the details for us at least. Uh, and then when you have really big differences in color and uh, the only thing you think is the difference is that you change the airflow or that you change the flame setting in the first two minutes or whatever, you, you can end up with like extreme uh, different color 
measurements, even if the development time is the same and so on. So I think, you know, I know from experience that color is extremely important and I, I cannot understand people who are still not measuring color. Fortunately, there's more people. Um, but that, having said that, there's also a lot of really poor measuring devices that will give you <laughs> on the same sample a lot of different numbers. So uh, you have to make sure to have a good protocol when you prepare the samples and also have a good measuring device. That's really important, I think. But this is the fun thing, and this is also something I mentioned, mentioned in the podcast, that people think there's a kind of discrepancy between business practices and science and uh, and uh, and that there's a lot of surprises for people in the business when they when they deal with science, which is the case if there's been too much marketing uh, kind of spin done on it, uh, but not if you just are honest and uh, and and uh, and kind of uh, true to what you see and don't try to create a story all the time. Mm. And I've noticed I've heard some other podcasts with you because one of the things that I'm that I'm addressing uh, in the podcast is that people tend to, if you've got, if you can report something in grams per liter or you can make a ratio, people prefer to do the ratio because it sounds smarter, right? Yeah. If you've got... <laughs> time and temperature you you tend to want to express everything in the rate of rise because it sounds more fancy but really it's not a physical entity no time and temperature is a physical entity uh calculated value is a derived value which make it not more fundamental but as actually a bit more su superficial it's not wrong yeah it's just not and i've noticed what you uh in a podcast i heard when you talked about when you transitioned from the probat to the to the to the, the lowering you just refer to well it was we experiment with with different uh, phases to to add the energy and if you just stay with the uh, basic physical entities and not try to regress into a lot of things that's actually the scientific approach and that's also where you're not kind of digressing into a lot of things that makes everybody confused. So mm. in that sense, uh, you are kind of uh, also a bit, uh, you know, an, an, a natural scientist in the sense that that you're trying to stay at the fundamentals rather than digress into a lot of uh, fluffy parameters. So, and that's also why when we've done research together, we've never had, ah, Tim, I'll tell you how, so, because we've never really been into any kind of, of, of these things where you kind of assumed a lot of things and wanted to say stuff that was just a great story, but not really what it was about. So I think that's a very important intuition to have as a person in the business practices, but also as a scientist. Yeah. So this is where I see some bridges. Uh, and also, as I mentioned, I also done project with Rob Hoos, and he's also very kind of just, <laughs> uh, uh, simple in the good way simple in the way of how concepts are correctly used mm. um, I mean for me for me, it's uh, actually about uh, in our company we have now three people who can roast coffee actually four but uh, one is on paternity leave But um, and I'm the one doing the quality control which means the tasting and I also evaluate the curves and because I buy the coffee so I kind of know them quite well I know what to expect from them when I taste But for me, it's always been a, extremely important to simplify the roasting process so that more people can replicate the same thing. Because what happens if you're relying on one person to roast and he disappears or she disappears? You know, we'll, we'll, 
the customer should not notice who is roasting the coffee. And that's the same thing we have with the espresso when we make coffee in the espresso bar. The customer should not having to, or shouldn't be uh, relying on one person to get the best coffee. You know, everyone should be able to make the same coffee. So that's why we try to really simplify the process of making it so that everyone can replicate it. And if you look at our roast profiles now, to be honest, they look very, very similar regardless of coffee. And the only kind of thing we change is the amount of energy input we use based on moisture content in the coffee. Um, we always have the same batch size. And then when you when you start laying the curves on top of each other in Cropster, they, they look almost identical, you know, regardless yeah. of coffee. And that's uh, people always how to roast this, how to roast that. Well, how do you want it to taste, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the the differences are more. Uh, I don't know if also in the uh, I have this uh, pyramid of hierarchy, the the importance of the parameters. The base is the green, right? That's mm. always the most important. Um, yeah. So so why would you even roast them differently if they are different already on the green level? And yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, of course there can be different uh, reasons to to roast it differently, but there can also be reasons not to do it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, we actually just almost let the curve uh, happen by itself. So we we start with the energy input, and then uh, it's quite easy to see once you've looked at many curves if you're pushing it too fast or if you're way too slow. For instance, we have kind of a time frame where we like to be within based on the preference of how I want the coffees to taste like, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's the only right time frame you know let's say my total roast time is normally around 10 to 11 minutes uh, but it doesn't mean that that's correct for every roaster some people like it in a different style they might prefer 12 to 15 minutes for for all i care i don't really care you know yeah. so um yeah i I'm, think i'm not saying the roast profiling doesn't is, isn't relevant you you still have the 20 percent right color is only 80 percent, so 20 is quite a lot and even the five percent I, I can taste, uh, people can taste it, right? You can squeeze yeah. the last juiciness out of something by pushing first crack a bit earlier. So I'm not saying it's it, it's not perceivable, but people just don't have the proportion of kind of, uh, it's so important to have priority for parameters. Otherwise you are all over the place with things, right? Yeah. This is really what I hope uh, that, that, that our research has, can help people kind of get some proportion uh, intuition, right? Yeah. But having good green coffees, you don't, uh, you're really good off for, for making amazing coffees. And this, this is also why I think uh, your concept is, this is something you, you just knew from the beginning, right? Because that has been your focus all the time. Yeah, I mean, it started with the. We did a lot of experiments with our roaster in the beginning, and then uh, we. I realized that whatever we did, the coffee didn't taste better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a and difference, I, but not better. <laughs> yeah, and I remembered the coffee as tasting better when I bought it, but of course, when it landed, it was woody and so on. So um, that's why I started traveling to Origin and really to do the quality control at farm level with the farmers is it makes roasting a lot easier because I know what to expect when the coffee arrives. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the coffees we we buy, we buy uh, you know year after year, and uh, it they're very easy to roast. Like it's so easy to make small mistakes with the roaster, um, and still have the coffee taste great. <laughs> 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 so uh, you know you get away with a lot more if you buy high quality coffee, of course. But um, yeah. I think but, yeah, yeah, 
it's also about the standard you want to set. Like, uh, uh, I feel like we have a very tight window of a standard where we want our coffee to be. And uh, we don't sell it as our branded coffee if it's not within that window. But, you know, a lot of roasters, they don't want to waste coffee or anything. So they will sell, even if maybe they forgot to, to take the coffee out, you know, 30 seconds later than they, they wanted to, then it became a little bit darker. They don't want to throw it out, so they still sell it. And that's where you get more of the discrepancies in consistency, at least, because uh, of human error, I think. And, um, of course, uh, the machine setup can also be a little... Uh, it can be important as well, but if if you're working with like a modern coffee roasting machine, they're normally quite consistent as well. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's much fewer people. Which roast did you buy? Well, <laughs> actually, well, any of the brands with some reputation, you you are able will be able to make amazing coffee. It's just about yeah. getting the right greens and then do a bit of experiments. It's not yeah. a uh, it's it's not that. It's not that difficult. <laughs> no, no. It's kind of like saying what espresso machine did you buy? It's not going to make, you know, it's not going to change the espresso from terrible to fantastic if you just no. change the espresso machine. It's how you use the machine that's important. And I think in the education system, it's so important for people to get some sense of proportion of, 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 of relevance of all the questions. People love all the questions and people love to overcomplicate them. It's actually not that difficult. And it, no. it's so important in the education that we are, I feel that we are pushing that uh, agenda because otherwise we are just weakening ourselves as a community, mm. chasing ghosts, yeah. right? And it's it's, and and so Jim, it, when it comes to my podcast, it, people who haven't heard it might not perhaps get a sense of how much of a rant it is against <laughs> a lot of the most common education practices yeah so so how how did you kind of uh, perceive that 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 part of it no uh, you can definitely sense that you're a little frustrated uh for sure uh but you know there's two ways to be frustrated one is to just be frustrated and complain another way is to come with constructive feedback on how it can be changed for the better that and i think you do that a lot in in the podcast like a lot of constructive feedback on how uh, methods should be changed uh, you know you're mentioning the sea score sheet uh, which is a score sheet that i use a lot but i i use it for two different purposes and for one purpose it actually is not very right <laughs> so i'm thinking of how changing my method there but um um uh, uh, like you're always saying, form follows function. Um, I think we are a little bit stuck in uh, in our routines in the coffee industry. And uh, it's a young industry. And a lot of the kind of knowledge we have had and still have is based on people telling one another. Like a lot of my knowledge I got from traveling around, talking to people, asking people, learning from other people. And maybe what they're saying is actually not right, but I'm still learning and they can reason why they believe it's right, but it might not be the correct thing. And uh, I think revising uh, the educational material that we're sitting on in the coffee world, especially in organizations that are you know, making a lot of money on educating people and also revising uh, the methods they're using to kind of qualify people to become, for instance, a Q grader or something like that. And, uh, you know, taking a more uh, 
pragmatic way of doing it. I think it's better. I took the QGrader class uh, <clears throat> some years ago and I, I passed. Um, but one of the uh, one of the tests we had to do was the uh, sweet uh, salt and acidity in different solutions. And uh, to this day, I don't know how I passed that. Like it's e <laughs> easy to identify the intensities when you drink them alone. Like uh, it, if it's more or less salt, if it's more or less acidic, that's easy to identify, I think. But once you start mixing them, I know for a fact that if you put, if you drink uh, lemonade, it's sour as hell if it's, if it's only lemon and water. But if you add sugar to it, you don't perceive the acidity in the same way. So yeah. this ch really changes the percep perception of the uh, acidity level. So I, I couldn't understand why they were using these tests in order to qualify people. And uh, it, it almost felt like it was designed to fail 70% of the people and uh, a random 30% would pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I'd taken that test many, many times and never passed it. But on the Q grader, I passed it for some obscure reason. And I had no idea. You know? <laughs> so um, I feel like uh, we should really ask ourselves questions when we do things like this that people pay a lot of money for. Yeah. And if they don't pass, they have to travel to another country, maybe to retake the test. That's a lot more money. Uh, we have to really ask ourselves, is, is it fair? Is it a fair method to test people or not? So, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, again, the, the SCA copying form, if you have found a way you do it internally in the company, that's not wrong. Again, form follows function. The function mm -hmm. is that you have an internal way of talking about it. But don't expect somebody else in the neighbor company using the same form to yeah. come up with the same data. <clears throat> and that, that's my criticism. It's not a parameter estimate of a true value uh, uh in the coffee it's an interpretation yeah. which is okay but then call it a consumer uh method where you are uh, your own consumer uh, if you have a preference and that's perfect you can easily do that and there's nothing wrong with that but but form follows function is wrong here if people think that there's a universal it's like there's one mountain that everybody in the world is trying to to uh, to kind of climb and and the scoring uh, is the altitude. That's not the case. P there are different mountains. Yeah. And and that's where it's it's if you have a map where there's only one mountain, but in the world there are hundred mountains, then the map is bad. You can't use it. And even if you climb a mountain and you somebody else climbed a mountain, ah, we got the same place. Well, no, it didn't look like that on my place. And it, then all this confusion starts to happen, right? So it's really um, that's really uh, yeah. It's the waste of time that really annoys me. Yeah. And it's the weakness of the community as a consequence that really annoys me. Why would we support uh, things that makes us weak as a community? Why would, <laughs> why would we accept it? I think, and you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's just, uh, it's, there's not that many alternatives in our community there's not like you, you can't really take a master's degree in in barista or a master's degree in roasting i guess you probably can but you know there's no universities really uh, offering <laughs> uh, coffee education like, except the ili university in trieste i think um so uh, it has kind of worked for SEA. They're bringing in money, and it, it is to some extent like, educating people. I would say I, I have sure. learned a lot at yes. SEA. Uh, I took one of the classes that I really really enjoyed was the um, green coffee defect class that I took many years ago, just to be able to identify the defects. 
but that class was really simply set up. It was, uh, you know, clean coffee, and then they had a cup next to it with a phenolic cup, for instance. So it was so easy to to taste the defect. And they had the same with ferment, and they had the same with woody coffee, and so on. Um, and that's a really easy way to educate people. But um, uh, some of the other classes I have been a little bit frustrated about, of course. <laughs> I remember taking a barista class in Miami in 2002, and uh, together with my barista master, Willie Hansen. And uh, we ended up actually teaching the instructor how to make espresso. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it is a work in progress, I think. And, and yeah. Um, they are, it is, it is a high value, I think in, in our marketplace to have an organization that is focusing on education, but it doesn't mean it can't be improved and it should be, uh, revised, I think almost every year because there's new knowledge coming in and so on. And I think that's also my point, right? We still do SCA roasting and sensory courses and, 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 and do, do them. Um, but, uh, but I think it's also just my podcast is kind of let's go already right the the yeah. principles it's really simple uh the principles uh, for for a good education is to distinguish between intensities and uh, and qualities and understand the qualities as a, a preference uh thing that can where you can have a different opinions that distinction in itself is enough to kind of for all the consequences I'm rolling out in in the podcast, and this idea is uh, I think se- uh, in the 70s that sensory and consumer science I I am not completely I think it was Pangborn actually at UC Davis um, who who came up with the, this distinction and methods uh, corresponding methods to 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 uh, execute correct sensory uh, 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 projects with that fundamental distinction. And and then I'm just thinking, okay, now SCA has been working with the UC Davis and Zurich uh, and also Copenhagen. I've also been very much part of this. And I think now now it's time to take this discussion, right? So we mm. can get move on as a community and not ha- hang on 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 old principles uh, that has been too old for uh, 50 years uh, yeah. already. I think you know, uh, in general. Uh, it's it's easy to to take things personal when things are criticized because uh, obviously there's people doing these trainings and courses and but instead of being uh, offended personally one should look at you know yeah maybe we can improve it and take the criticism and maybe grow on that and i think i've i've always been perceived as being a little bit blunt by uh uh, you know other people uh, and I think it's just the way uh, it's a little bit the Norwegian culture that we are quite direct people um, but also for instance I have an example I went to the US many years ago and visited a coffee roastery and we did a cupping together and then they asked me my opinion about the coffees and I told them my opinion and they were furious you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't like the coffees and um I was just being honest about it, but instead of, you know, asking themselves, you know, why didn't they like the coffee or maybe there's something we can improve. They just ended up hating me and didn't want to have anything to do with me uh, ever since. So my question is, why did you ask my opinion if you didn't want it? You know, <laughs> Of course, in the later years, I've, I've learned to be a little bit more elegant about it. That's when people ask, uh, how are you, for instance, they don't necessarily... Uh, expect to have an honest answer. 
um, I think there's nope. a lot to learn from from criticism, you know, and uh, we shouldn't just go around and, and pat our backs and telling ourselves that we're great all the time because we don't grow as a community by doing that. Or people, right? Yeah, it's such an imp- important thing, and, th- and that's also very scientific. If 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 you know about uh, uh, in in scientific publication cultures, people are really trying to 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 disprove each other, mm. which is the a huge uh, support. This is how you grow as a community. So it's very normal in science to be extremely direct because mm. if, you, if you're not, truth is at stake, right? We might yeah. be wrong and that's the worst thing that can happen. So it's actually very scientific. And again, your approach to honesty, that's very scientific because that's how science ha- is is improving. People are not patting each other on the backs. And, 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 and that, uh, that's also the spirit that I wanted to to kind of we are pursuing the truth here right for mm, yeah. for the sake of a community that is wasting time yeah. so that's the seriousness and then our egos can't get in the way of that much more important process mm. uh, and this is also where i really hope that in uh, that and this is also now we are some of the older people in this community and that's also why i appreciate so much that you are willing to take time out out to take these discussions because people are kind of uh, looking to somebody like us to 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 kind of grow and i think it's 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 time that 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 the people uh, uh who has been it for many years in the community with a lot of experience and knowledge that we are also able to talk together and and uh, and kind of uh, expose each other's blind spots uh, so that the community can can grow so rob and i we did the research uh, some uh, years and and Rob had a, a hypothesis that wasn't disproven, but it wasn't really proven to the extent that we hoped. And I had a p- hypothesis uh, that wasn't proven, but we did this work together and yeah. we accepted the outcome because mm. we did it together and we wanted to know together. Mm. So I, I, I really hope that uh, to, to do more like that research with, uh, with, uh, with Rob and you and, and, and other uh, people in the community who kind of are able to break it out, the egos to have uh, to serve the community by just finding out what's important how can we do it and so on that to have have that as the 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 focus um so i actually have some plans also with you tim that i haven't told about uh, you about yet but i'll (laughs) do that offline later (laughs) so um okay but tim uh we are about halfway into the podcast now so no no we we could talk forever and and that doesn't work um so um but um uh, is there anything that you wanted to say that you haven't said yet i think uh, maybe one thing that we can end on that i always remind myself is that uh, i view coffee as a system you know um it's a system of many different things it's kind of like a, a engine in a in a car it consists of a carburetor the engine itself a battery uh, air filter all these kind of things uh, and Formula One uh, teams or car teams, they know if they change one part, the performance of the car might be very different. Or if they tweak one uh, part of the engine, you might get more horsepower or less or something like that. It's the same with coffee. Like uh, we use a certain grinder, we use a certain machine, we have a certain water, certain water filter, certain pressure, certain temperature, certain green coffee, certain roaster. Once I kind of change one thing in that chain of uh of uh in my system uh i might have to adjust my roasting or you know something to make the flavor that i want and uh, it's quite easy especially if you work with espresso to see that 
just by changing the grinder, you might have to change your whole brewing recipe if you want to end up with the same extraction, for instance. So uh, being very clear on what you want and how to measure uh, what you want, that you achieve what you want is, is quite important, I think. And also not stop looking for this kind of silver bullet or the holy grail because you're never going to find it. You know, it, it, There's so many ways to achieve the same goal. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of figuring out how how am I tweaking this system to to achieve the goal. If you know if you understand what I what I mean. Yeah, I completely agree. Can I add something? Yeah. Which is a skilled engineer would also know the magnitude of influence of the different, and that's very important. For example, if you are in a pit stop and a screw has been broken, then uh, you find another one, and you can have two types of engineers. One saying, no, 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 it's not the original. We can't mm. use it. Or another one, well, it's the same kind of, a, let's just use it because practically it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> so because it, it, in your metaphor, it could be a bit tempting to think that, okay, we've got thousand parameters. They are all equally important. And we, we change one, one, everything changes. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, I completely agree with your metaphor, but I also think it's important to, to have this sense of magnitude. What's in, given the goal I have, what's important and what is not important. Yeah. Yeah. So just to take espresso, for instance, we measure extraction and I know with the grinder that I have, like, let's say I, I want to have 21% extraction to, or as high as possible, actually, to get the best possible espresso. But uh, if I use an old Lamarzocco Linea, for instance, the brewing pressure on that machine might have to be slightly around five bars of pressure because the flow rate of the water is so high on an old linea. But if you put a jiggler in, or if you have a new Lamarzocco, the pressure might be eight or nine bars to achieve yeah. the same goal. And this is what I'm talking about. It's always a system. So um, you kind of just need to measure what, what, where do you actually want to be and how to achieve that. You know, that's, that's the only easy way to work, I think. Yeah, and, and this is also, if I might sneak in uh, our or any flavor wheel, really, it doesn't have to be ours, but just have a specific picture of where you want to go from a flavor perspective and yeah. then reverse engineer from there, yeah. where people, how to do this, how to uh, roast uh, Ethiopian, how to uh, brew Ethiopian, they want you to tell them, where yeah. it's no, 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 you need to trust your own sensory skills, yeah. and then you need to have a, a flavor objective, and then you reverse engineer. Yeah, exactly. Perfect, uh, perfect uh, way of explaining it. And by the way, the new favorite is fantastic. I've just got a poster that's in my lab already. <laughs> I, I saw that on Instagram. Tim, I need to send you a frame. It, it looked like, don't you know the pants that are not long enough so you can see too much of the socks? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the frame you found. <laughs> I have one, some that uh, fits. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> it looks nice. No worries. Okay. Cool. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking your time. And I, I must say, since you have such a strict business plan that you made in 2006, I'm really grateful that being part of my podcast was part of it. So that you <laughs> took your time out to uh, to discuss this. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, and uh, I can promise you that I will reach out with the research projects and other podcasts and discussion stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that everybody listening here is also really grateful that you took out time to to participate. So, all right. But uh, thank you so much, Tim. And uh, good luck with your amazing high risk business plan. <laughs> thank you, Martin.
Have a great Easter. <laughs> Same to you. Bye. Ciao.